What is up? What is going on, everybody? This week, we are talking about a movie that is almost impossible to characterize in just one genre, but we're going to try to do that and a whole lot more on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Threequel. As always, I am one of your three co-hosts, Ethan Klein, here with me this week, Mike Duranik and Brad Miller. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Doing great. Uh, this is uh, one of the movies that I was more excited about this month, so excited to talk it, uh, about it with you guys. I'm doing well, uh, enjoying this evening and being able to talk with you guys a little bit about a movie. And uh, so, yeah, excited to, to hear your guys' thoughts on this film. Yeah, let's hop right into it, guys. Uh, just ask you the same question that I always do. Mike, I think I have to ask you the different version, because is this two weeks in a row that you have been newly introduced to a film just for the show? That's correct. Yeah, I'd never seen this movie. I knew that it was one uh, that I'd heard you guys talk about and Brad talk about before in particular uh, as having liked. And so uh, that's that's what I carried into this first viewing was um, I didn't know a whole lot about it at all uh, other than it was entitled Baby Driver uh, about a guy named Baby who was driving a car and that Brad liked it. And so that was about what I brought into it. Well, fantastic. Uh, Brad, then I'll ask you the normal question. Uh, what was your first experience with Baby Driver? Was it in theaters in 2017? Did you catch it a little bit later on TV? Uh, what what brought you to this film for the first time? Uh, well, you guess you should probably remember because you, uh, I believed, owned the Blu-ray and uh, watched it in my house with me. That was my first time uh, seeing this film. I, I, I did remember that, but I, I didn't want to steal your thunder. I wanted to let you hop in and, and tell everyone about our experience watching that together my first experience with this was in theaters opening weekend uh 2017 uh i mean this is the kind of movie that is right up my alley uh to go see in theaters um at the time and uh well not just at the time anytime bank robbery movie uh absolutely definitely did not expect the experience that i got um and, and it's always great when i mean you have high expectations for a movie just based on what you think it is. And, and then a filmmaker turns that idea on its head and you end up getting something better than you could have even hoped. And this is absolutely one of those movies that has always done that for me. So as we start the conversation about this, this is really weird for us. Uh, we're going to play the Rotten Tomatoes game here right off the bat, but Mike's not playing this week. Uh, Mike finally got dethroned um, in a, in a, pretty pretty sad way i mean just a huge gap between uh where you guys were thinking and where it was at uh last week with top gun uh brad undercut you there he sniped you uh and he is now the reigning champion so brad we'll kick it off with you what do you think the sitting rotten tomatoes score is for baby driver and which one of us is getting sent to slaughter next week uh as mike comes for his title back uh and, and then he'll probably never uh, relieve it again well, this is definitely a, a difficult game going first, uh, which I don't think either one of us has very recently because um, we always get to just decide if we're going one up or down from Mike. So uh, this is a harder side to be on. Um, I, I think I'm going to go 83, and I think 
that number at least makes it difficult for you to decide, um, you know, could it be a little bit higher? Uh, is it, is it possibly lower? Um, but I think 83 is a good number to kind of throw out there to challenge you to go one way or the other. So I want for the record, just because Mike is so fantastic at doing this, the number I had in my head was 92. Now I'm not going to do that because I want to play the game. Um, but I, I will go 84 um, because I think this movie is definitely in the 90s. And, and we'll see. Mike, do you have the uh, wow sitting score for us? I, I, I think this is safely in the 90s. But I'll play the game. I'm going to say 84. And then Mike will let us know uh, who, who our winner is. All right. Well, I got to say, it's it's fun to sit on this side of it uh, this time, guys. It's been a while. And uh, being able to see you guys yeah, kind of figure it you, out. Mike. Screw you, um, Mike. You know, Brad, <laughs> I, I, I feel for you how hard it was to go first. Um, the audience score is an 86. So if it was the audience score we were going by, Ethan, you would have just sniped Brad uh, right in there. You guys are right there. But uh, it would have been a much more entertaining show if you'd just gone with your gut and hit it right on the head because the critic score is a 92. So it would have been more impressive if you had stuck wow. with it. Um, but kudos to you for playing the game to win, uh, not just for vanity. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I guess it would have been, I should have just gone for it. I should have just said like, Mike, I'm coming for you and, and I will be the champ, but I wanted to play the game. So 92%. Um, so that leads us into the next question. I always ask you guys, and that's, is rotten tomatoes, right? That, that That's a very high score. Um, getting up above 90, um, I think I, I know Goodwill Hunting is tied for the highest we've ever reviewed, and I think that's 98, I think is the highest we've gotten to before. Uh, but what, what did it tie with? I, I don't remember what it tied with, but I do know, like, I feel it in my bones that we had another movie get there, and we specifically said it tied with it. Um, but, but I cannot pull it off the top of my head what it was. Um, but anything that clears 90. Um, it, it is a very good standing, especially for something like this. You know, you'll get the big, the big, big box office like Marvel movies will clear ninety left and right, um, which I love. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're just these dramatic pieces of of art. I mean, they're they're just successful and everybody loves them. Something like this, something smaller that has the ability to go to ninety really does say a lot so i'm giving away kind of my answer to this i think rotten tomatoes is absolutely right and i wouldn't even be upset if they went a little bit higher but for you guys mike especially this being your first viewing is rotten tomatoes right sitting at 92 well i mean i i think i know what this movie was trying to do and i think i know why it got scored so high because it was it was well shot um the you know cinematics were great there was a lot of detail in it that I'm sure if I watched it a second, third, fourth time, a lot of that stuff will jump out uh, in terms of some of the, the scenes and, and things that went into that. The acting was good. The, the script was, was pretty crisp. This is not my type of movie. And so for me, um, I think the audience was even a little bit high on it for my own experience. But I suspect that, again, from a critic's point of view, I can understand why they scored so high. So I would say... Uh, I think it's high, uh, but I, I'm not surprised that it's that high. Um, so I'll answer this, I guess, a couple different ways. Um, if I had seen this movie once, uh, you know, five years ago or short, I mean, it was shortly after it came out. So it was probably pretty close to that. Um, 
I think this number would be spot on. I would have put it there. I was I was not as impressed the second time because what makes this movie special is its uniqueness and the fact that it uh, is sort of a musical. It's sort of, uh, you know, and I think, Ethan, you hit it on the head. There's so many genres it can fit in. Um, and it's different, and it was special that first time. I've seen it. Uh, this would be my third time now because I have saw it one other time in between. And knowing what's coming and knowing, you know, the, some of the surprise choices that they make with it make it less appealing. And this movie also has is the tale of two two halves, or maybe it's about sixty six percent. the The first, you know, two thirds of this movie I think are fantastic. The where it where it uh, splits for me, or where it turns on its head, is when uh, John Hamm's uh, girlfriend or wife, whoever she is in this film, um, gets killed. And then it gets just kind of dark and um, takes a definite cinematic turn. And that's probably a decision they made. I think they're trying to appeal to different uh, um, people and genres and, you know, showing a, a change in, in artistry there. But for me, that's where it kind of went off the rails. And I really enjoyed the first two thirds of it. And then um, the last third just kind of lost me. So um, that's where uh, I think the number would drop for me. And that's why I came up with an 83 um, and ranked it much lower than I would have expected to rank it when uh, we talked about doing this movie. Mike, I'm curious. You said that this isn't your kind of movie. And I mean, I know that you enjoy action movies. I know that you don't have a problem with like heist thriller, things like that. So I'm curious, is it the music side of it what they're trying to do with that what what is it that like when you say this just isn't your kind of movie where does it trend into that for you yeah so i think it takes itself too serious to be an action movie that i would like um and it could be the music side of it, it it's it's very I mean, it's very artistic they they wanted to do a action heist movie that also was artistic is what it felt like to me um, I didn't, I did not buy into the character development of the title character as much. Um, again, I, they did give a backdrop to him. They did fill in the character, but I never really felt drawn to him. Um, and I felt like while the, the supporting cast was, I mean, obviously very exceptional. Um, I was always kind of confused, especially early on as to why people were coming in and out and what was going on with the group. Um, and so it didn't, it just felt a little disjointed there, but yet I can't say it was disjointed because the dialogue, uh, and, and the scenes, they were very crisp, but yet it still left me kind of going like, eh, I'm not really sure what's going on or why I should care about it. And so, yeah, from that standpoint, it just, it felt like it, it wanted to be an Academy Award winning best picture nominee that was also an action heist film. And in that sense, I feel like it, it missed on all fronts. Still ended up being a good movie. Um, I'm glad that I've seen it. I don't know that I would rush to see it again, but but that's kind of uh, the thoughts that came to my mind as I, as I was watching it, Ethan. I think this movie is as far into our art house filmmaking as something can go where I can still enjoy it. And the elements just came together that I end up just really, really, really loving it. Um, it's not a movie. Honestly, this this may be Brad with you. This may be about the third time I've seen this movie. 
I bought the Blu-ray. I know I bought it on like a Black Friday thing, so it was a deal. I watched it with you. I may not have seen it since then. Um, there are parts of it that, like, if I think about rewatching it, I, I don't like actually the middle part of it is actually where it falls off for me. The second heist with just Jamie Foxx's crew. I don't like the way it breaks down. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, Mike, you said it takes itself seriously, which I appreciate. And then all of a sudden, this retired army person just has a freaking like fully automatic submachine gun in his truck that he's going after them with it. it that it gets a little goofy there. Um, well, it almost feels like in that situation, it was trying to be. I mean, trying to be like a, a Frank Miller type movie or something like yeah. that in that moment. And so that's what I'm saying when like it wasn't disjointed and yet it was. Yeah, there, there are other things like that. I don't like the little the quick little side story of we're going to do this gun deal that goes bad and kill these cops just so there's a couple more bad guys at the end. Um, you know, we use the phrase a lot on this podcast, you know, trimming the fat. Where can we go? This could have been a 90 minute movie. Um, if you eliminate a couple of those things and I don't think the story would have changed. Um, and I think I would have rewatched it more since then. What ends up outweighing all of that to me is the creativity. Greatest things I've, I I have seen put into a film. Um, the way that the music syncs up with the gunshots, with the car, with even the, the windshield wipers on the car, all of those things I think is just fantastic. It's even the cadence of the gunfire. Um, yeah. A lot of times was, you know, to the beats of the song. Yeah. I, I think that is absolutely amazing. And that, I mean, so often music gets put in in post-production and you don't even know to, to know the music and to be using the music as you're making the movie is something that doesn't happen that often. And, and, and I think really is a marvel. And the performances, too, it feels so cool. Like, you know that John Hamm and his wife uh, are terrible people. But damn it if they're not cool every time they're on screen. And I want her name. I'm going to pronounce this. I think it's Isa Gonzalez um, is how you say her name. She was just in Michael Bay's latest movie. Um, She's she's on the up and coming uh, in a big way. But uh, I think they're fantastic together. And I like how nice they are at the beginning to baby um i enjoy that relationship and mike you said off air like you didn't like evil john ham i thought the fact that he was like kind of not a dad but maybe a big brother to baby and then turns on him i actually really like that um so it's weird it's weird that like so collectively we're all saying like this is a, a good movie even a really good movie we all have some big issues with the movie and all of our issues are at completely different parts of the movie. Brad, you don't like the end. I love the ending. Mike, you think it's a little too art house. This is exactly the amount of art house that I can stand and still love it. So it's very weird, the kind of the roller coaster we're all going on with this movie, to still come to the conclusion that we enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that's what brought me back. I was, like I said, it was so different the first time that... Um, that's where it it uh, it did its job. It was appealing enough to say, you know what, I want to watch this a couple more times. And now that I've seen it a third time and and got to uh, pick it apart even more, who knows? I might not see it again. But um, it it pops in my head frequently because it's also the name of a uh, Simon and Garfunkel song that happens to be on 
for whatever reason, my, my iTunes likes to play it a lot for me when it's just randomly going through there. So when I hear that song, it takes me back and, uh, makes me think about the film. So I'll probably put it on again sometime in the future, but, uh, um, I actually don't enjoy John Hammond this one either. Uh, I don't know why it just doesn't seem, he doesn't seem like the right actor for that role, but, um, you know, he, he, he was better than I remembered for sure. Yeah, I'm actually I'm a really big John Hamm fan. So I think because Mad Men got so big, and I don't, Mike, I'm, have you seen all of Mad Men? Yeah. Okay, I I have not seen all of it. I never finished it, but just as big as that show was, I always thought John Hamm would just get something right. Like he he would just just constantly work. Um, and for as much money as he made for Mad Men, it's probably his choice that he's not constantly working. But when he finally does pop up and stuff, it just always gets me so excited. You know, he he's in this. We've done the town on here, and I love his character in the town. I think he's fantastic in that. Um, there's I know there's there's a couple of tag. I don't know if you guys have seen tag. That's one of my like favorite underrated comedies of the last you know five ten years. Uh, he he can do comedy really well. Um, he's actually the only part that consistently has made me laugh over the years from bridesmaids um because it's just so wild and crazy when he pops up in it but it's hilarious right like he he's got all of it um and it really it's just his choice i think at this point when he doesn't doesn't want to work so the fact that he's in this just makes me happy that i get to see him in something uh he's going to be in top gun maverick uh so we we will get to see him again but uh i've always just enjoyed seeing him on screen whenever we get the opportunity to uh because i just i think he's fantastic and he's quite frightening uh, when he does does make that turn to evil. He can do it, uh, e- even if it's not what we like to see, because we want John Hamm to be be our good guy. Yeah, and I mean, I think maybe that's what it is. You know, I didn't. It's not that I didn't think he he did a good job in this. I think he did a good job in it. It's just not necessarily the way that I felt like that character should have progressed. But maybe that's what makes the writing good: is that you're seeing him and anticipating him being in one light. And then it goes solidly the other direction. So that that may be a part of this movie that if I watched it a second or third time, I would appreciate more um, than I did on the first watch. Uh, do, do you guys want to discuss the elephant in the room from this movie? Uh, I can't answer that because I don't know what you mean. It. We, I, I know we've mentioned it off air before because we haven't done seven yet. I know, Mike, you and I talked at one point uh, when it would be and it was up against a lot. Of things. We know that we'll do it at some point because of how great that movie is. Um, but for years, how Hollywood perfectly cast Kevin Spacey without understanding that they perfectly cast Kevin Spacey. And once again, he's a bad guy here. And it just. He's in it. Whenever he's in a movie, I, I always forget that he's in a movie. Like, the only movie that I actually associate with him at this point, two of them, are Suspects and Seven, right? Like, I, I know that when I hit play on those movies, he's going to be there. It is what it is. I, I have blacked out every other thing he's done in his career until I hit play on a movie. And it almost upsets me how good he is when he pops up in something. And then, you know, Brad, you said, well, like, he died at the end. Then they had to go and make him a good guy at the end. It was it's it's still weird to see him in stuff, but he's a part of this ensemble, and 
I, I everybody in this movie does great. I don't I don't have a false note to say about anybody in this movie. I don't think Ansel Elgort's a good actor outside of this, but I think he leads this movie well. Um, but I didn't know if you guys had any thoughts just like on Kevin Spacey being here. Is it, is it weird for you guys seeing him and stuff? And then just like the ensemble overall. Um, I, I think that he is redeemed to a point, but I don't know that I would call him a good guy at the end. Like, I'm sure that he's making those choices for selfish reasons, you know, like um, he he decides to he tells them to get out of there. But I'm guessing in his mind, he probably thinks like, you know, we're all going to die here anyway. So, you know, why not give the kid and the and the girl a chance um, or he's probably getting rid of them uh, in a less. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't know how to put it he's not killing them to get rid of them because there's too many loose ends to tie up in that scene. So it's like, well, all right, let's just get him out of here, pay him off, let him go. And, um, I think he trusts at that point that the kid's not going to say anything, but yes, he, he takes a turn for, uh, the better, a different kind of character, but I did not, I did not see that, that scene and then think, Oh, wow. Like, this guy's now the hero of this film and I'm sad that he died. Like it was, wow, he really got nailed by that car when he ran back over him and it, you know, seeing his body flip around like that was, um, in some ways, um, cathartic, you know, um, to see, but yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't have described him as a, a good guy at the end, but, um, I guess I'd like to see your guys' or hear your thoughts on that. What was the movie that he was in with the card counting? 20, 21, is that what that was called, right? Yep. Like, yep. It, isn't there, there's some like, some similarities between his character in this and in that, right? He's he's behind the scenes, he's running this scam, he's using other people to run the yep. scam. And I think that, you know, yeah, we've talked about it off air. It, it's incredible how the man seemingly got typecast. You are less conspiratorial maybe than me. You say like, they knew they cast him without knowing what they were doing. I wonder if it was just well known that like he was kind of a, a slime ball. So he could play these parts pretty easily about taking advantage of people because that's just who he was. And then especially when you look at what he did with house of cards and oh, the God. character he was playing on that. Yes. Um, you know, I, when I think of Kevin Spacey, I immediately go to the usual suspects. Mm -hmm. um, but how many movies through the years, he was just playing a, a slime ball, somebody who was taking advantage of people. I mean, he was probably best known for American Beauty, which um, after everything that has happened in the last 25 years or since it came out, 23 years, it was probably, I think, 99. Actually, just um, his autobiography. Yeah, I mean, it it uh, it puts it entirely in a different light. Um, and while I think on this this podcast, I would probably say, well, we could you know rewatch re Seven because of... Uh, everything that's in that movie and i might even be you know open to to talking about something like uh, you know usual suspects given how iconic that movie is um i can't see us ever wanting to rewatch american beauty but think about what a big thing that was at the time it came out and so um all i can say is the fact that as what he had done came out seems a number of years later now to have ground his career to a halt and I hope it stays that way. That then that is that is somewhat 
you know, validation for some of this movement that we've seen to actually talk about these things and the, the bad things that people are doing. And uh, so I, I do kind of hope that it was truly ground to a halt and not just put on hold because of COVID. This was the last role that he had in, in a wide released film. I pulled it up. There was a couple movies that aren't literally the titles aren't even in English. They look like they're written in like Norwegian. Um, so yes, like, and I remember this came out and I walked out of the theater. I remember walking out of the theater and I, I saw this with my dad, I think. And I was like, there's another great Kevin Spacey. There he is again. He's, you know, not in it that much, but damn it. If that guy's just not on screen and I love it. And it was probably a month later when it broke because he was going to be in a Ridley Scott movie. They had already filmed it. That news broke. A preview had already been released with Kevin Spacey in it. And they went out and reshot every single scene he was going to be in with a different actor. And since then he hasn't been in a movie. Um, And rightfully so. Um, But yeah, it is weird. It's very, very strange. um, The things that end up, you know, where the so we joke i'm not gonna bleep this one out because it's it's you know we have the the michael jackson thing here on the podcast we came up with that because we are all on the stance of like he he should not be named i I just did there you walk into any bar in america Mm -hmm. billy jean's probably gonna play at some point in the night and everybody's gonna sing along to it and nobody's gonna bat an eye it's it's very very strange like the the lines that we decide to tow and, and where we're going to hold certain things accountable it, it is very weird to me and i i know that we all because we made that decision and it can't kind of became our thing and bleeping that out and whatever it is like i know where we all stand on it but not a lot of people do and it's, it is very strange to me where that comes with where we're willing to separate art and artist and what we're okay to walk away from and what we're not and i would have thought that that would have been one of them but his music still stands where it stands. So I agree with you. I'm glad that with Kevin Spacey, Hollywood decided like, uh-uh, buddy, like we're not, we're not putting you in stuff anymore. Well, uh, the difference is, I mean, and there's no difference for me. I mean, you guys know, like I, I don't, I don't listen to Michael's music anymore. I, I, every time I hear it, I think about him and the situation and it bothers me. Um, but it's different. Like, for me where I'm watching Kevin Spacey on this film and I see him interacting with this younger male character and it. That's the part that was cringy to me. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he had some lines that he said to him that were just, yeah. Looking back, it's like, wow. You know, if, if people knew there's no way he would have said that to a young male in this film. Um, and uh, I guess with Michael Jackson and as long as he's been gone, you don't, have to see those interactions anymore um every once in a while uh i'll see a clip of an old commercial or something he's in with a young kid and it um you know it just turns my stomach uh to think about but uh, i think that's why it's a little different and why his career ended michael jackson's movies or i'm sorry music was way past iconic before the truth of this really started coming out i don't think kevin spacey was a big enough star to um have people kind of look the other way you know um and there might be a few actors who could get away with that um and people kind of look the other way but uh spacey's not one of them 
yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting conversation uh, to have, and you know, never really know where the conversation is going to lead us on the threequel. But there we went. We'll bring it back to some uh, more positive things here. Uh, just I, just a quick side note too: American Beauty, I think the worst best picture winner of all time. Every copy of that movie should be burned. It's awful, and that has nothing to do with who's in it. It's just a shitty movie. Um, but back to a movie I actually enjoy: Baby Driver. Uh, it's hard to really discuss anything more about, about the cast itself. The director, Edgar Wright, he is Mike. I mean, you said it, uh, art house kind of with that. That's who he is. Uh, that's what he's always been. And, and I don't really care for any of his other films. I know at one point he was tasked, uh, to be the, the director of Ant-Man and it, it got to a point. I mean, they were very deep, uh, into pre They were about to start filming and Marvel stepped in and was like, Hey bud, like you can't make Ant-Man, this like whatever it would have been and he left and, and then we got what we got so um definitely not necessarily my kind of filmmaker but like i said this one does uh does lean into more of that and um you know ansel elgort like i said good in this leads it well um he hasn't been in much else that i enjoy he's just not my kind of guy and i don't know if he's really the greatest actor of all time anyway so really that just leads us into favorite scene uh, fellas, uh, what what was your favorite scene from Baby Driver, and um, why was it not uh, the Michael Myers scene, which I don't find funny? I know that they were really going for it there. That thing just did not work for me. But but where are you guys going? Well, I think for me, uh, I, the movie was probably at its most impressive, honestly, in the very first scene, um, and I think that 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 was what they were trying to be. And then they weren't able to necessarily back it up with a plot that delivered on the promise. But that first scene was extremely well shot. Um, You don't exactly, you know, first time watching it, you don't know what the details are. It lets you know what type of movie this is, um, which is an art house action heist. And it delivers on that very well. So I'll go with the first scene and and take the easy way out there. But I do think as I reflected on it, um, you know, in the last two days since I watched it, that was really the peak of the movie for me. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm with you there. The way it kind of opens and you see how the music's going to play a part as a basic, basically another actor in the film. And um, so that's right up there. I, I enjoy um, where he uh, he's kind of wandering down the street and, you know, the music's interacting with him. That scene I really enjoy. And I also really enjoy the one where, uh, you know, they describe the tinnitus that he has and they don't know that he's listening and then they ask him and he repeats almost verbatim the entire uh plan uh, i thought that was really cool so um just i think those were some of the unique aspects of it that that stood out to to be some of my favorite scenes yeah that opening getaway uh is the best piece of action in the film absolutely um i think i'll just kind of drill in on then what my favorite interactions were were the planning of the heist scenes because i think that's when the dialogue in the movie really shined through because i think it is a really well-written film um and and just the back and forth um with you know someone if it's whether it's john bernthal's character at the beginning or jamie fox's character throughout the movie picking on baby and then the back and forth there and uh you know how he is able to turn that into his little recording tracks that he makes 
uh, and just the quick conversations. I love, I remember the first time I saw it, I, and I don't know why, cause I was just so focused on what was going on. I never understood what they meant by nasal problem. Uh, and then finally, like rewatching, I picked up on like, Oh, like that's, they're talking about, like, they know people that like, they're like supplying with cocaine and stuff like that. Like there's just, there's so much quick lingo to pick up on. Um, and the things that are going down and just the way, like they call it the hum and the drum. They don't just say tonight. It's like everything in it almost works like a song because it's moving so quickly and like flowing together and doing that kind of stuff. And I, I really love that. And I think it's sh- uh, shine through the most uh, in those scenes. So that, that would be my favorite, just the planning of the high scenes. Um, and I always love those in heist movies. Anyway, guys, were there any lines that stuck out to you uh, this week? from baby driver i don't think so on my end Uh, you know again i enjoyed um i enjoyed the dialogue in the sense that it was well written and very crisp but there wasn't anything that jumped out to me as like oh my gosh that's a great quote that's a great line i I think the thing for me that it's not a particular line but um just because it's similar for me when something is said that catches his attention and he connects it to a song and then he goes back and listens to the song and makes it part of his um i guess collection you'll say you could say um you know he asked the waitress what that song was she was singing and then next thing you know he's listening to it and um it's very similar to how i um react to some of those situations so i found that interesting i think my it's not really a line but i really really loved how i don't know if you guys caught on to this um there's a scene at the beginning where he's flipping through the channels with uh, Joe. Like you see a clip from Monsters Inc. And then you see like a clip from Fight Club, uh, a matador fighting a bull, things like that. And that quick run through, it actually like lays out like the third act of the movie um, because he says the, the he, he steals the monster tank line and says it to Kevin Spacey's character and he calls him out on it. And then there's the thing about, they think that baby's really clever and how does being clever work for you? She refers to John Hamm as a bull. And when he sees red, you'll see black. So like they used that and then put all that stuff in and it, it fit really, really well. So it's not necessarily like a particular line. Uh, but I, I think that's like a really cool little Easter egg that they put that at the beginning and then flowed that back in, which is kind of the reverse. Like you said, Brad, of he hears something in the world and puts it in his music. In this case, uh, the world around them flowed into the end of the movie. I thought that was really creative and I really enjoyed it. Uh, but that'll do it guys. That's our conversation about baby driver. Uh, we hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, next week I am trying to, uh, al- just draw out my words here because I don't remember what next week is. If you guys could help Jurassic me Jurassic park. Oh, of course it's Jurassic park because, uh, as I think you mentioned last week, Brad, we were talking about box offices, uh, Jurassic world dominion is going to hit theaters next week. So we're going to go all the way back to the one that started all the original Jurassic park. So watch that. If you have not rewatched it in a while, uh, in anticipation of that episode, but other than that guys for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan, and we'll see you next time.